There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome again to the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, government debt and all that. One of the biggest problems with Boris Johnson's push for more money for the NHS is that he's saying the money's being freed up by the reduction in money we're going to be paying to the EU. But as we explore again, don't governments don't have to balance budgets like households. If we want more money for the NHS, we should just get the Bank of England to create it. That's all. So Boris Johnson wants an extra £100 million to be spent on the NHS, a little less than was promised on the side of the Brexit bus. But his argument is that people need to see the material benefit of leaving the EU, and that is that there is more government money to spend on services like the NHS, money that we are currently paying to the EU. But does it actually work like that? On the podcast, we've talked about a lot in the past how the government can create money through their central bank, in the UK's case, through the Bank of England. The only constraint factors if they create too much money we get inflation and i'm pleased to say my 11 year old son can explain the relationship between the amount of money in circulation and the rate of inflation pretty well so he sort of gets it but most people don't understand that money can be created we still hear the media talking about how governments need to live within their means austerity is important because we've got to get the budget back on track and boris is saying yes we can spend more on the nhs because we will be saving on on what we pay to the EU. The same problem. So as a rule, we don't get the idea that governments can create money, although many do understand that central banks buy bonds with money that they've created. That's quantitative easing. That's the way it works. And we've seen a lot of that lately. The US Federal Reserve has bought trillions of bonds, trillions of dollars spent on bonds. The Bank of England has created hundreds of billions of pounds to buy bonds. So from that point of view, Money creation is accepted, uh, so it's sort of part of conventional wisdom these days. So, Steve, it seems there is a bit of an understanding that money can be created to get us out of trouble. Well, only a bit of an understanding, and the the, the panic-level stuff about the government having to uh, live within its means, it was used so effectively by the Tories to win the last election and and to win the 2010 one as well, the 2010 and 2015 elections. That... uh, they can't trumpet that as triumphantly as they used to because all sorts of stuff-ups have occurred afterwards. Uh, but that's still basically the argument that they have, that if the government uh, if the government doesn't run within its means, we're accumulating this huge debt that future generations have to pay, and we've got yeah. to be careful about those dear, uh, poor future generations. So rather than building hospitals and schools and railways that they can, uh, you know, be, uh, be born in, be educated in, and be transported in, rather than doing that, uh, we'll make sure we don't build those things so that they don't have any financial debt to pay to back to us in the future. Yeah, and yet on the, on the, at the same time, though, we're saying, yeah, we understand central banks uh, buy bonds with money that they've created and, and you know we've all become familiar with the idea of quantitative easing mm. um, so central banks can create money 
the US Federal Reserve, of course, has, has bought trillions on bonds. The Bank of England's, you know, hundreds of billions. So from that point of view, money creation is accepted. It is, it has become, it's seen as being unconventional by conventional economists, but it, it but it's there and it's understood and it's almost becoming conventional wisdom, isn't it? Well, and only to some extent, because people haven't really joined all the dots together, and this is what I'm trying to help to help people do with my Minsky software. Uh, and I'll actually, I, I might whack a little if we actually with the podcast, if we can whack a little model up and say, please download the software and run this. You'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, they, they haven't. You've got to join the dots together, and they think, okay, QE's occurred. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's huge, and oh dear, that's been un, un, unfair for. Uh, you know, a massive increase in inequality, but the economy seems to have benefited out of it. And uh, but at the same time, thinking, oh, well, the government can run out of money. The government can, uh, you know, the, the, the austerity stuff is nowhere near as strong as it was before. We actually tasted austerity. It's one of these things where it's, you know, the, the advertised taste is not so so good as the uh, the actual. One of my favourite little jokes in that front. Of you, let's get a joke into the podcast mm. here. Bill Gates. Uh, uh, dies and uh, gets to heaven and uh, St. Peter says, oh, well, if somebody as important as you, you actually get a choice. You can choose between heaven or hell. And you know, somebody invented Microsoft Windows. You know, you've, you've got to you've got to get the choice. And he gets taken on I, a tour. I, I, I think you should go to hell just for that, to be well, honest hang with on a second. Hang on a second. <laughs> he, go, he goes on a tour. Of, exactly. He goes on a tour of heaven and there's these people sitting around uh, floating on clouds, playing harps and, and contemplating and being very meditative. And he goes down to hell and there are these wild parties with sexy women everywhere and uh, wine and women and, and rapacious behavior occurring. It looks fabulous. His old shoes, hell. And he gets to hell and finds himself on a rack, being having his flesh stripped off and reattached and stripped off again, and acid poured all over. And he says, "What the hell? What? What was? What about the advertisement?" And he said, "Oh, that that, that was the advertisement in the pre-release version, <laughs> not the actual thing." Right. I have no idea how that has anything to do with what we were saying before. It did but sort we, of. <laughs> but we, we were talking about about how bonds are created and how people. Well, so we, were so we, we sort of we saw, is, is, is people not connecting the dots. Yeah. And uh, and the taste and the and the argument about austerity being good for you, uh, being rather different to actually have experiencing austerity in the flesh, and yeah. that's what's actually happened. People have got to say, well, austerity will mean the government's got uh, uh, the government can save for a rainy day, so we'll have cash available when a crisis occurs uh, to, to to be fixing it up after the crisis. You've got to repair the roof while the sun is shining. Those sorts of little analogies being used all the way through. Then people experience it and they find actually what we do is we don't even build the roof in the first place. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's what's actually happened with austerity. And that's why it's, they're not selling it as well, but people still haven't connected the dots that maybe austerity is not a good idea. Maybe it's an extremely bad idea. Well, the dots I'm trying to join is, is the dots between uh, us going through a period of austerity at the same time that the central bank is creating money. Yeah, uh, that's it, right. Uh, why, why is the money that's created not being used uh, to remove that need for austerity, why isn't it being used on things that the government can invest in? So if they're well, buying government bonds, why aren't those bonds being used to employ people, to create infrastructure, to uh, to improve our standard of living? Yeah, and also the, 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 it really comes back to the other point. Why isn't central bank money creation capacity being used to do those things as well? Mm. Because what's being pointed out by, by QE, and this is why I see people haven't joined the dots themselves yet, is that nobody's received a tax bill for QE. Now, in the UK's case, QE was £200 billion a year for quite a while. £200 billion is, uh, mm. you know, virtually the, virtually the scale of government spending itself. It's in the same ballpark. And uh, you got a bill to pay for, for tax purposes for government spending, allegedly, but you didn't receive a bill for QE. 
Now, why is that? Well, it's because both of them are going to be funded just simply by the government's money creation capability. Uh, and the, the, that, that still hasn't dropped in people's heads yet. And it's still this, like as soon as you're saying anything about government crea- money creation, you'd be saying, yeah, but what about Zimbabwe? Okay. Or what mm. about Weimar Republic? Now it's what about Venezuela? Um, and instantly the, the fear, the, the bogeyman that this is going to lead to runaway inflation uh, becomes the dominant message. Yeah. Now, what I, well, what well, well clearly, make, clearly it hasn't. But isn't, isn't yeah. the reason why we're, you know, we're not seeing it and, and, uh, on, on our tax bill is because the way it's issued. So the central bank creates money to pay for bonds, to pay for government bonds that it buys. So the government is basically saying we need more cash uh, for whatever it might be. Uh, we're going to issue bonds. The central bank buys those bonds. And then at some point, they wind back on buying those bonds they sell them to somebody else so in so in effect that's how it's a becomes an off-budget item isn't it yeah and it's it's possible for the central bank simply to say it wants to buy a billion pounds worth of of uh, bonds off a private financial institution it simply enters that much money in the deposit account that financial institution has at the bank of england and then records the transfer of the bonds of a precisely equivalent value on its asset side so its assets rise and its liabilities rise and there's absolutely no limit to the capacity of central banks to do that and that's something you can find uh, economic radicals like alan greenspan and ben bernanke saying uh, before the crisis hit they've got a limitless capacity to do that the reason it's limitless for central banks whereas it's not limitless for private banks is that central banks don't have to have positive equity mm. and you'll find a, a recent bank of england paper in, in bank underground saying precisely that um, so they can operate with they can just do as much as they like because they have the backing of the state in that sense to mean wherever this where that state operates in the, in the united states of america or the uk or um in any any country you care to name that issues its own currency uh, it has an unlimited capacity to create that money without needing to worry about whether it puts it into negative equity or not now a private bank doing the same thing will fold if its assets collapse in value because when it drives up it creates money by lending so-called uh, and and then there's assets rise with the debt that it's generated and the, and the liabilities rise with the money it's created. Uh, when they then end up buying private sector assets, which they, of course, they frequently do, they buy shares and bonds and other companies and so on. If you have a stock market crash going on, then the value of, of the, of the shares can plunge very rapidly. Mm. And without, with very little time, you can go from where it's assets minus liabilities is greater than zero. So the bank is solvent to assets minus liabilities is less than zero because the, when the assets fall in value, the liabilities don't change it's taken out of the bank equity and it can fold so no such prob- no such problem for central banks of course because exactly they they, 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 they don't even even if, even if it did happen to them if they bought masses of shares and they've virtually done that with QA. they've come close to buying shares and there's been some parts of some forms of QA. they are actually buying shares i believe uh they they don't need to worry about that so they don't have those limits the private sector has and that's why when you look at it, you say well why if you don't have any limits why do you apply those limits to financing government spending at the same time yeah but and yet it's not used for financing government spending is it that's the thing when a central bank buys bonds when it buys government bonds it's not because they're saying well okay let's let's help governments 
create more bonds so that they have more money to spend to create better projects. They're actually doing it because they want to basically reduce interest rates so that uh, uh, the private sector can borrow more or buy people are going to buy other bonds in the, in the private sector rather than government bonds in the hope that that's going to create more jobs and uh, and lead to growth so they're seeing it as a, as a as a step in the process for boosting the private sector rather than just a direct measure to put some money into the government's pockets yeah and the thing is they can do both there's no reason why they can only do one of them. Mm. So the ideology, and this is where ideology is driving what's happening in economic management rather than uh, a, a genuine hard-nosed analysis of how, how financial flows work in a capitalist economy. The ideology says it should all be private sector. All these economists, I must say central bank economists have changed radically after the financial crisis, at least in the UK, and to some extent the European banks have changed in, the, in their attitudes, having experienced how their ideology stuffs up the economy. Uh, but the ideology is, well, it should all be private, and these people with, on, on government back in the 2000 and up to 2007, these economists in the pub, paid by the public purse working in the public sector were dedicated to the elimination of the public sector as we know it. Their argument was it should all be private. Um, that was the, the overall thrust of the form of economics they learnt. So they were quite happy to use a money creation capability to drive interest rates down when they thought that was necessary or drive them up and maintain a target interest rate, which is part of the um, economic models they use. It's the so-called dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models um, include the central bank manipulating the interest rate to control the rate of e- uh, economic growth and the rate of inflation. They're quite happy to do that, but at the same time, they thought they shouldn't fund any government spending whatsoever. And the the government was completely absent from their models yeah. in the sense the fiscal sector, fiscal uh, balance was not seen as having any role in the economy. Um, so it's and now, of course, what they've, they've they've seen the consequences of that now to some extent, because this is supposed to give you a perfectly functioning private private system, and bang, we had the financial crisis. Well, so after that experience, they're a bit more realistic. In central banks, when when governments do issue bonds, I mean they do tend to expect it's for a project that's going to have payback at some point, don't they? So, for example, uh, it's it's not going to happen in this case, but the Australian government with the NBM, which was a you know a large project, they um, the bonds were issued for that, as I understand, that's how that's how that was financed because they expected it was going to pay back ultimately, and presumably that happens all the time. But uh, but what about operational expenses like paying teachers and nurses and the police, the stuff that appears on budgets uh it you know in the in the government budget i mean is there any reason why that couldn't follow the the same process just issue bonds for the money that's going to pay those salaries well that is what we used to do and we still effectively we're forced into doing it because ideology is one thing putting ideology in practice in the real world is another and if you look at the the american economy the ideology has been if you go right back to the 1920s you can find the same arguments government should run a balanced budget in the long term Mm. Well, I think along. I, I'm thinking. I'd be willing to regard 120 years as long, wouldn't you? Roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how about 117? Would you do me a deal on 117? Is that a long term? <laughs> so you, what you the could long term, the long term average for the government uh, surplus in the United States is minus 2.3 percent of GDP. When you take out the Second World War, it's minus 2.2 percent of GDP. So. Over the long term, history has shown that the government runs a, a deficit. It spends more than it takes back in taxation. Yeah, and this, this well, is pretty much the, pretty, pretty much the situation in England, of course. Since the it's, uh, it's global, since it's, the, it's global. Yeah. And the, the reason is because if you're in an economy which is growing, 
the growing there's never been an economy a capitalist economy on the planet that has grown for a sustained period in in real terms in terms of the goods and services we consume without a growing money supply at the same time now the money supply is created in in, in three ways you run a trade surplus we can strike that one out for both the uk and uh, in and since the 1970s the usa uh the banks lend more than they get back in repayments, which creates money, but creates an identical amount of a debt for the pri- private sectors. There's no increase in the net equity of the private sector out of borrowing money from private banks. Or the government spends more than it gets back in taxation. Now, that's the only way that you actually get an increase in the net equity of the private sector. And if you therefore have a growing economy and the private sector is trying to acquire an increase in its net equity, the fact that taxation is levied on the basis of income and government expenditure is, is levied on the basis of the lack of income, what you get over the long term with a growing economy is a tendency for the amount of money in, created by the government to grow at the rate of GDP divided by the velocity of money. Mm. Now, if you've got an economy which is growing in nominal terms at about 5% per, per year, and that's roughly what the American economy has grown at for the last 117 years, and the velocity of money is round about two, which is what it used to be now actually plunging down towards one, but historically it's been between 2.5 and, and, and uh, 1.5. Lo and behold, the government is going to spend about 2% more than it gets back in, in taxes. Mm. So it, the, the practical reality, the actual historical experience of the American economy, which despite its current problems, we have to accept as the, the most powerful economy on the planet, has been that it's run a deficit. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it's, so it's, we, we've got the wrong terminology. I still haven't come up with a decent word, uh, but it's effectively a government deficit of government money creation for the use by the private sector. So how That's do, what it is. So, of course, if you run a deficit the way accounting practices deal with it at the moment, if you run a deficit, then uh, then that deficit just increases. If you have a deficit one year and then you have uh, add to that the next year, then you're just adding to the the level of government debt that you hold. So what's so I, I th- you're you're saying? Well, that shouldn't be an issue. We should just issue the central bank should is, issue that money. But ha- so you know, in effect, you you're not building up this this massive level of debt. It's just. Uh, operations as normal, but what what would be the accounting practice of that? Because you don't want to have a look and see and see your government debt is just ex- increasing every year, and we just accepted it because it's going to reach a phenomenal level. You so can recall like, it equity, right? You could call it equity, yeah. Uh, because the government doesn't have to pay back bonds that it its own bonds. It's um, people think about selling bonds and they go overseas, and you've got to pay the money overseas. If you're paying, if the UK was issuing bonds in American dollars then that would be a real problem. So countries that are forced to do that, like Argentina, like Venezuela, um, like Zimbabwe, they need to bring in massive imports compared to their exports because what's actually caused their collapse often is a, a, a domestic destruction of productive capability by bad by bad government policy domestically. They've got to import goods which are produced overseas. People want American dollars for it. They issue dollar bills. They issue debt in American dollars and the currency plunges that's that's the, the negative cycle everybody's talking about. But if you have an economy which is a, a strong Western economy whose debt's accepted, then you'll have Chinese buyers buying bonds which which return them British pounds. 
from the British government. So, and the British government can't run out of pounds to pay that debt back. Right. So why is that happening then? Because if we look at the national debt, um, it's costing the UK government £46 billion a year. Uh, and, yeah, so they could just create that money. But they, That's but, what they do. But, That's but, what they do. But they are borrowing from other people as well. So only about a quarter of that £46 billion is is money from the Bank of England. Uh, so, yeah, you know, they, the rest un- is, un- is pay, uh, pension funds, private investors, foreign investors. Why would the government do that if they could just borrow it all from the Bank of England and just deal in sterling? Part, partly, well, it's, they, they could actually do it all, all with their internal uh, money creation capability, but partly it's partly ideology tied up in that. And it's also partly an income distribution system. If you think about we go back to the 19th centuries, we're all used to the Charlotte Brontes, the, the novels of um, Charlotte Bronte, and the, the wealthy back then would talk about their wealth being stored in government bonds because if you go back to that period, I think the Napoleonic period, I think government debt with that stage was about 350% of GDP. Mm. Of course, that, that meant that England could not become an empire, which, of course, it bloody well did. So what was happening is people would have government bonds as a form of income coming out of which the, the, the bonds would be paying them income uh, issued by the state, and that people were quite comfortable about that. There, there weren't novels of Charlotte and Charlotte Bronte talking we're all going to be ruined, and and think about the terrible debt we're leaving behind for our future generations, which of course was almost zero. Yeah. So, you just, uh, so, so I mean, should we just do away with government bonds then, or should we just say, well, that's fine, so long as you want to pay for them in sterling, because we're only ever going to pay the money back to you. We're only going to pay your dividends in sterling, uh, and that's easy for us because we just print the money. Well, people, that's, that's what actually happens. And like one of the reasons that corporations will buy private uh, bonds, even with government bonds, with even with extremely low yields, is because they get involved in open market operations with the with the bankers buying and selling of the bonds. And there's capital gain to be made in those buys, buying and selling. And you've got to have the bonds to be in that particular game. Right. So in some ways, it's the biggest game in financial town. So that forty-six billion a year that the government is paying, we shouldn't worry about it because if it's because if it's if they're paying uh, if they're paying the Bank of England, who cares? Because the Bank of England just plows that money back in anyway. If they're pa- if they're paying private investors, uh, those private investors will be expected to be paid back in sterling their, their dividends or when they cash in the bond. That's still going to be in sterling. So again, they can just print the money to satisfy them. It's just the foreign investors, but foreign investors presumably would be buying those bonds. In sterling anyway, and would be expected. Yeah, that, that's that's you've got a choice. You can buy British bonds in pounds, or you can not buy British bonds. Yeah, and the same thing for the USA and so on. And people always talk about you know the bond vigilantes, and this is one time I actually like a term invented by Paul Krugman. The argument at some stage the bond market's going to rebel and not buy the government bonds. When you're talking companies, you know, countries like America, the USA, you know, Canada, Australia, South Korea, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there have always been, if not if not just fully subscribed, massively oversubscribed, more there's more demand to buy the bonds that are in fact issued by the by the government. So it, 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 and we've had a you know again there's one saying let's look at a hundred years of history. Mm. Has this happened in the past? No. Then why should it happen in the future when we haven't had a substantial change in the circumstances? It's still central banks being able to create money. It's still the government money being used for financial transactions within its own realm. All these things mean the problems about running out of money are impossible and the problems about bond vigilantes are also simply do not occur because the private financial institutions need those bonds for their own financial operations. Right. So when we hear this, and it is a very emotive uh, figure, isn't it? When you hear, well, the government is paying £46 billion a year just Mm. to cover the cost of its debt, we should just say, well, who cares? They're just going to print the money. Why does it matter? Yeah, and what we're doing is we're, we're imagining our own situation. So we're told the government's doing this. 
and think, oh, if I was in that situation, what would I be doing? Well, if I had that amount of debt to pay, I would not be investing in the kid's education. I would uh, not be buying that new car. Mm. I would not be buying those shares. So we think the consequences of that for the government are the same as it would be for us, which is mean we can't invest in the future for our children. Now, ironically, if we... What we end up doing is, is saying, let's not build schools and hospitals and railways and universities and, and institutes of higher education and so on. Let's not build these. Um, otherwise, kids will have debt. So we're promising our children effectively a financial future free from financial obligations and also free from any of the infrastructure that makes an economy worth living in. So uh, should we worry then if that $46 billion that it's costing, costing us to service that national debt, if that becomes $90 billion and then it becomes $180 billion and then it becomes $300 billion? I mean, at what point do we, do we say enough is enough? I mean, it, it is just an accounting figure, but, you know, if, if your total budget is, is a certain amount and your, your debt level level is say four times that then things look a bit out of balance don't they so there's got to be it, it surely it means the accounting system is wrong well in mean, sense the accounting system showing that as debt rather than equity is wrong right um, yeah. but if you if you look at the scale of government debt in the uk i mean it's as, it's been as high as 350 percent of gdp and that was back in the in the golden days when you actually had an empire mm. so historically you look at it and say well if they didn't panic then why are we panicking now What's changed? And what's changed is not the practical circumstances, it's the ideology. But isn't the reason that figure is, is rising as well is because this money is being paid um, through bond, through the issuing of bonds and therefore you have an interest payment that you've got to make. You've got a dividend that you've got to pay on those bonds to try and encourage investors. If you didn't issue it all in bonds, I mean, can you just say to the central bank, hey, we need more money, transfer it from your bank account to ours, thanks very much? Effectively, you can. Um, and then in that sense, the debt is all an internal accounting operation between the Treasury and the Bank of England or the, 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 the Federal Reserve. So it it's, can all be done in internal accounting. But it does, but it does, has that, that doesn't happen, though. That never happens. Well, it used to. Right. It was feasible. But we've put political and legal limits and saying you can't do that. So what they say is the central bank can't be the initial buyer of bonds issued by the Treasury. Now, therefore, what happens to have, first of all, the treasury bonds have to be bought by the private sector. And then once that's done, the central bank can buy those bonds off the private sector. It's a roundabout way of achieving exactly the same outcome. Right. Except for the fact that in, the, in that outcome, you are, you are issuing bonds and therefore you've got to be making payments. You've got to make interest payments on those bonds. Whereas if it was yeah. just a straight transfer of money, you, um, you don't have that. So you're not adding to that uh, national debt. Well, in fact, when you do the accounting, and as I've done this for a submission to the uh, uh, Parliamentary Treasury Committee recently, when you do the accounting on the government actually buying, the central bank buying the bonds directly off the Treasury and having an interest rate, that interest rate actually increases the equity of the central bank. So why, when it's so easy for all of this to happen... Why did, you know, under James Callaghan in the, in, in the, in the 1970s, why did the UK government have to go to the IMF for a bailout then? With, with the IMF then saying, you know, you're going to have to cut government spending if you're going to, if, if we're going to bail you out. Why would they just not say, well, that doesn't matter. Uh, we'll just create money to get us out of this hole. It was back in the days of the fixed exchange rate. Right. And with the fixed exchange rate, you could run out of American dollars. When you run out of American dollars, you can't get involved in international trade. Therefore, you've got to issue bonds denominated in American dollars to be able to be able to go into national trade again. And that's where you got into the clutches of the IMF. Right. So that couldn't happen again. Not with floating exchange rates. 
I mean, I'm in favour of, pardon me, I'm having a bit of breakfast here, pardon me. No, no, no. For the last half an hour, you've been eating your breakfast. We've been, <laughs> Sorry, no, we've no. been enjoying it. We've gone from the uh, from the cup of coffee through to the bacon and eggs. Uh, no, no, it's actually pancakes. But All sure. right, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the, it's the fixed exchange rate were the reason why you had to go to the IMF because you ran out of American dollars because you're running a trade deficit. Now, the response should be, well, let's stop running a trade deficit. Well, let's try to find a way to either boost British industry so we don't have a trade deficit anymore and impose international rules that prevent economies running gigantic surpluses because in that particular case, if Germany is running a 10% of GDP surplus, then the rest of the world is running a 10% of GDP deficit, of Germany's GDP, with Germany. And what's happening in that situation is that effectively Germany is outsourcing money creation. The rest of the world is creating, in those days, marks for the German economy to spend. And this is what leads to the type of you know, massive financial imbalances we have right now. So that should have been the correct response of saying, let's go back to the policies, which, uh, in fact, Keynes put forward back in the Bretton Woods uh, period, which was to have an international currency yeah. not created by a national economy like the Americans, but created by the IMF as a global central bank fixed exchange rates at the same time, so you could run out of Bancor and so on, you'd be forced to devalue, but you wouldn't have to bring in something as draconian as the IMF loan terms, which are imposed on on the UK and actually legitimised a lot of the chaos we're in today. Because the pound went down a great deal when all of that was happening, and, and often the value of a currency is related to the to the level of government deficit, I guess because because traders get spooked by uh, by government supposedly running their, their, their budgets into the into the red so i mean i guess that is that the only reason why that relationship exists and uh because people assume the government can run out of money uh, and if that's the case uh from you know what you're saying there should be no relationship surely should there between the value of the well, there is no there's almost no relationship empirically the only reason that happened back in those days and soros made a killing was because of the fixed exchange rate you were running out of american dollars because with the fixed exchange rate if you're running a deficit more American dollars are going overseas than come back in, so the reserves are falling. You can look at that and say, well, there's no way that you can sustain this valuation of the pound. Therefore, it has to fall. Therefore, I'm going to be a radical young trader, as Soros was then, and short the pound, and I'm going to borrow enormous amounts of money to do that. So I might be putting down like, you know, 100 million pounds out of my company's own account, but I'm going to buy 10 billion pounds worth of pounds, and uh, if the if the I'm going to short that much, and if the value falls, I make an enormous profit, which is what actually happened. So the fixed exchange rate, when you had an, a set of, of national currencies running, and you didn't have all the the checks and balances that were built onto the Bancor idea by Keynes, that can lead to the catastrophe that hit the hit Britain back in those days. So central banks are now, of course, saying, well, look, you know, we're going to back out of our bond buying program. Uh, they were extraordinary measures for extraordinary times. All of a sudden, uh, we're returning to uh, to normal or the new normal, the normal way of doing business. We're going to get out of uh, buying government bonds. We're going to let uh, private investors buy those bonds instead and everything's going to be fine. I mean, does that matter too much? I guess if because if the government issues bonds, there's always going to be a buyer for it doesn't matter from what we've the discussion we've been having today whether it's actually the uh, uh the central bank that's buying those bonds or private investors because the dividend someone's got to pay the dividend to the private investors it's going to be the it's going to be the uh, it's going to be the, the the central bank anyway through the government 
Yeah, largely. I mean, it's when you get when you do the accounting properly and look at what actually happens when the government issues bonds and they're bought by the private sector funding a deficit, uh, then in fact, what's going on is, is that the, there's actually a transfer of money from the financial sector of the economy to the real economy because that government deficit, um, it means the government issues bonds. The bonds are then sold to the private financial sector. The money that was used to buy that by the financial sector ends back on the government's government's books, and the government then spends that money into the real economy. If you go the opposite direction and trying to run a surplus, you're taking money out of the real economy and put it into the financial sector. Mm. Now, people should ask themselves, which part of the world needs more money right now, the real economy or the financial sector? <laughs> oh, that's a difficult one, Steve. I know. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, uh, there are some people in the financial sector are struggling, aren't they? They can barely, oh, yeah, barely, they can barely, barely manage to afford their coke habit. Uh, that next 160-foot yacht's going to have to be cut back by two inches. <laughs> so uh, is what's the simplest way of doing this then? Is it to say, uh, well, you know, within a, uh, maybe you set bounds on this, but you say that the government can in effect run a run a deficit um because th- that is the no- that that should be accepted as the norm and mm-hmm. the central bank provide some sort of accounting process to transfer that money without necessarily issuing bonds um j- just basically uh like a straight bank transfer into into the government's coffers is that the easiest way of doing it or all declaring what we call debt is actually equity, right? Um, you know, because it's it's a it's a measure of the amount of money created by the government for the use by the private sector and the economy. So yeah, it, it's 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 just getting over our heads that there's no problem for a government spending more than it gets back in taxation. In fact, that's necessary to create part of the money supply that we rest of us use in the in the private sector. Is it equ- is it equity though? If it's if it's money that's transferred and it's and it's used to uh, create an asset like a a new motorway or whatever, I could see that's the case. But if it's money which is put into government coffers that then goes into a, a nurse's pay packet, is it? Equity, as such. Well, think about it. You're thinking about the actual financial institute, um, financial instrument being issued by the government. When we call it government debt, we could call it government equity or equity in the UK. Mm. Um, so that's be a good. That'd be a good title for a punk punk rock band, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, um, too late for that, I suspect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of time and your age, I suspect, but who knows? Equity. It starts as anarchy in the UK, ends up as equity in, in the UK. UK. That's right. But if, but if you if you don't issue that money, then you don't build the bridges, you don't build the hospitals, you don't build the schools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and you suddenly have a you know impoverished third world economy, uh, which has got great financial accounts. Right. Not exactly what you're trying to achieve. So. This this is the, the great fallacy of it, and it's just money creation by the government. Fundamentally, it's what's going on, and it becomes it becomes another instrument as well, doesn't it? For the for the central bank, I guess they can say, well, okay, we we, we do have to keep the uh, and I hate this expression, keep the government honest, because uh, you'd, you'd hope that with their elected representatives, you'd hope they would be honest, but they well, but yeah. they do, but they do need to make sure that uh, we don't have runaway inflation. Uh, so well, if, if, so if you create, if they created extraordinary amounts of money, then that could happen. So they need to make sure that they don't create too much for that happen it's one possibility what is actually more likely to happen if you do that you're going to have a trade a trade deficit coming out the the main thing i'd like to have governments focusing upon is not their own deficit but the trade deficit mm. current account deficit that's the one which is most damaging in the long term right uh, and also the level of private sector leverage those are the things to look at the, the government in that sense the government uh whether it's running a surplus or a deficit is it is, a, is an instrument rather than a target 
it's something you use to manipulate the rest of the economy in the areas which are worrying, which include private sector indebtedness and having a current account deficit. It's not a target in its own right. But they could fix that if they had the money to fix it, fix it of course. So you can, you, can, you, can exp- you can export more if you can make more, which means you need the investment in factories and businesses and infrastructure yeah. to make that possible. Yeah, and uh, and we and this this is one of the again when I'm trying to get the accounting sensibility through to people, uh, because if we're all trying to achieve positive net equity, and that's you know we, we most of us would love to have our assets minus our liabilities being positive, when you actually look at that at the aggregate level. That's not possible out of uh, – if, if you have a fixed amount of money in circulation and one group tries to acquire more by saving more, that actually reduces total income by precisely as much as saving has actually occurred and doesn't increase aggregate equity. If you borrow from the banks, you get an increase in your money supply, but you also have a matching increase in your debt, so there's no change in your net equity. The one way that the private sector can you – know, all of the people in the private sector can have uh, assets minus liabilities being greater than zero is if the government has assets minus liabilities being less than zero. Mm. Now, the government's got a capability to get away with that because it owns its own bank. The rest of us don't have that capability. So if we say the government's got to act to the rules we think apply to us, the actual result of that is it backfires and means we all end up with negative equity. Yeah. And that, the way you've just explained it makes perfect sense. And for those people who have difficulty with that and always have to look at the, uh, you know, the housekeeping analogy, uh, and, and applying that to government, I guess the easiest way to say, to, to do that, to provide that analogy is to say, well, uh, in your household budget, maybe you get a, a child allowance from the government. Um, and, uh, that's money that, you know, you've got from not doing anything apart from the fact that you've got children in the house. That's an injection into your, into your bank account. Could be the same. The government's basically Basically, getting a, um, a government keeping allowance from the central bank, and uh, you know they they balance their books after they've got that that injection from the central bank. I have to work on that analogy a bit myself, mate. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's, it's just a way yeah. of simplifying it, isn't it? It's like yeah. you know you're you're trying to balance how much you're spending, but there's a slug of money coming from somewhere else. It's coming from the government. For the government, yeah. it's coming from the central bank. Yeah, and the government. This is this is the, the modern monetary theory. People have been trying to get this through. Uh, I think just some some success, but not enough to get through the political debate. Uh, is that if the government if the government runs a, a deficit, that is precisely equal to the surplus in the private sector. So if you've got a private sector trying to have assets minus liabilities being greater than zero, so you've acquired net equity, that can only happen if the government's doing the opposite direction because mm. your asset is somebody else's liability. And yeah. therefore, your equity, uh, if you're in positive equity uh, in the overall economy, somebody else will be in negative equity and the government's the only institution that can manage to run negative equity permanently because A, it owns its own bank and B, that bank can be a negative equity with absolutely no consequences. Right. So let's let them do it and not argue against them doing it, which is what's happening right now. Okay, very good. Makes perfect sense. Good. Good to talk. We'll catch you again soon, Steve. I'll finish my breakfast by then, mate, I promise. (laughs) I should think so. So rude, isn't it? Now, look, next time, rebuilding economic theory the old way. Uh, The Oxford Review of Economic Policy in its latest journal has developed the entire addition to the idea of rebuilding macroeconomic theory. But unfortunately, they're using the same old names with the same old thinking. So what are they missing out on? Uh, We'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening today. We'll catch you again soon. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.